Is that really a thing? All day Saturday detention? Uh, maybe in the 80s. Can any of you 80s babies tell us? I cannot not imagine babies. that happening now. Also, like, I bet those parents were just like, yes. <laughs> all day without my teenager. <laughs> just drop them off. Don't have to see them all day. I can't even imagine. Yeah, like, I mean, that sounds more like a suspension than it does, like, detention. You're listening to Atlas Now Streaming, the podcast where we talk about your favorite movies, television shows, and documentaries on streaming platforms. Atlas Now Streaming is produced by Atlas Med Staff with your hosts, Jamie Zarlingo and Nina Granger. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie and I'm Nina. Today, we have a very special uh, anniversary episode. So uh, when we were planning out this month, I noticed that today, February 15th, is a certain iconic film's anniversary. 35 years. Can you guess what movie we are talking about? Well, you can't respond. So I'm talking about The Breakfast Club, which came out on February 15th, 1985, 35 years. That is insane. And um, neither Nina and I were alive when the movie came out. But it just goes to show that this film has resonated with, um, you know, generation to generation. It is still one of the, I would say, you know, best teen films of all time. Um, If you're 30 or older, you've definitely seen this movie. Um, And if you are uh, Gen Z, you've probably seen this movie, I'd say. I mean, it's just, it's an iconic film that um, sparked a genre that we were literally just talking about this before we started recording that doesn't really exist anymore. It kind of has its own little niche in the 80s and the 90s um, that uh, sparked a bunch of inspired movies television shows because of this film and all the other films that john hughes was a part of john hughes the writer director and producer of this film and i'm excited to talk about it so um we're going to talk obviously about the film itself um the actors in it um but we're also going to talk about again the the pop culture resonance of this film and john hughes i have a ton of information on him and um all the other films he's done so uh I'm excited. Yeah, it was a good um, a good movie to rewatch for me. I had not seen it in a long time. Mm. Um, I think maybe it was like early 2000s. I kind of went through a little phase of watching all of the 80s movies, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't seen had not seen it since then until I just rewatched it this week. So, and how did it live up? Um, I mm, <laughs> I don't really know what what to think about it in like comparison to what I thought about it at that time. I guess when I was younger, it was more significant to me about what was going on in these teenagers' lives and what they were thinking about and what they were doing. And now that I'm older, it's kind of funny to look back on it and be like, think about, wow, I actually did think about these kinds of things back then. And when I was in high school, these kind of relationships were going on. And um, when I had watched it originally, I think I was probably like, 13 or 14 so it was like Mm -hmm. kind of right before the era of this like high school setting so it was kind of fun to think about what I was going to be experiencing and now looking back on it it's just kind of funny to reminisce and see the the parallels between like basically any teenager's life in this movie oh yeah the I think the main the main point of this film is that you know we all are different but we're also very similar, especially when it comes exactly. to, um, you know, your fellow classmates, your coworkers, or if you want to get political, you know, you're, you're just your fellow man. You know, we, we all have our differences, but we, we're all the same in a way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some fun facts about this movie real quick. Um, it was originally released on February 7th in Los Angeles, but then was released nationwide on February 15th, 1985. Written, produced, and directed by the one and only John Hughes. Um, this movie is pretty star-studded as far as like 80s actors go. 
Um, so we have five main characters that fit different stereotypes. Um, so Emilio Estevez plays Andrew Clark, who is the athlete. Um, Anthony Michael Hall plays Brian Johnson, the brain. Judd Nelson plays John Bender, the criminal. Molly Ringwald, Claire Standish, the princess. And Ali Sheedy plays Allison Reynolds, the basket case. We also have Paul Gleason, who plays the assistant principal, Richard Vernon. Um, and this group is kind of referred to as the Brat Pack. So they all were kind of in different 80s teen movies at the time. Um, and actually, Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall did 16 Candles together the year before. And at the very end of filming that movie is when uh, Hughes approached them to be in The Breakfast Club. thought that was kind of cool. I actually didn't know that 16 Candles came out first. Yeah. Um, it earned $51.5 million on a $1 million budget, so you can say it was a smash success. In 2016, it was selected for preservation in the United States Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. I believe we said the same thing about Toy Story. Yeah. Um, so kind of cool those two movies are in there. Um Anthony's, th- I thought this was really cool. Anthony Michael Hall's real life mom and sister played their respective roles in the beginning of the film. So if you're familiar with the beginning, they're all getting dropped off at de- um, detention and um, his sister and mom are in the car and his mom's like scolding him. That's his actual mom. That is so crazy. Isn't I had it? no idea. That's super cute. It is. It's just like a cute little family thing to have. It is. Like this, I mean, the cast is very small. So I mean, these, you know, supporting roles mm-hmm. that have maybe one or two lines. Why wouldn't you use your own family? Um, so Molly was originally approached to play Alice in the basket case, but she was, uh, quote, really upset. She wanted to play Claire instead. And I thought this was really interesting. Originally auditioned, uh, for, uh, Claire, Jodie Foster and our girl, Laura Dern. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine? That is fascinating. Isn't it? I wonder if Molly Ringwald would be as popular and well-known as she is today if she had not been selected for this film. She was kind of like the 80s it girl. She was. Like, I actually read her memoir last year, and um, it's really cute. It's got a lot of pictures in it, so it's not like, I mean, it's a memoir, but it's also like an illustrated memoir. Hmm. It was kind of cute, just, and especially like her iconic, like short red hair and all of the clothes, and she talks about, you know, becoming a mom, and she looks exactly the same still. I, know, she I watched does. her on The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Yep. Did you watch that? No, but I mean, I knew she was in that. I kind of watched that religiously when it was coming out. And yeah, she's just like, I mean, she looks exactly the same. And she's just like this cute mom. She is. She's, I love she's her. pretty great. Um, Emilio Estevez originally auditioned for uh, John Bender. But he was cast as Andrew instead because they couldn't find anyone else to play that character, which I think is interesting. Nicolas Cage was considered to play John Bender. Can you imagine Nicolas Cage? No, that I movie? cannot imagine that. That would have... I love Nicolas Cage. I can't like, imagine anyone else in that role, honestly. No, no. I can definitely not imagine Emilio Estevez in that role either. No, absolutely not. Like, Nicolas Cage is so, like, out there. I feel like it would have just killed the character. <laughs> he would have been more like a goof than a criminal, yeah. you know? Um, and ended up being down to John Cusack and Judd Nelson. And they actually originally cast Cusack, but before they actually started filming, uh, Hughes replaced him with Nelson because he didn't think Cusack was menacing enough. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what that would be like as an actor to think that you've like got this role and then at the last minute they're like, just kidding. You're not mean enough. You don't, you don't look <laughs> scary enough, which like Judd Nelson is a, I wouldn't say he's a creepy looking guy, but like he has that like. He you know, just like, totally fits this character. Like, he does. He just looks like um, um, just a bad guy. Yeah. Like someone you wouldn't want your daughter to date. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of, at one point, Hughes was disappointed in him because he stayed in character off camera and was harassing Molly Ringwald. Oh. Yeah. The <laughs> other actors had to convince Hughes to not fire him. Dang. So, yeah. Interesting. I wonder, has he done anything else? Not really. I don't think, I think out of all these actors, he probably did the least, hmm. I think. He's like, this is like the role that he is known for. Yeah. Um, I wonder I, if he kind of got like typecasted or like yeah. in the future, you know how, I, I always think of, um, what's that guy's name? From Juno, Michael Sarah. Like yep. he's like forever going to be a like nerdy, awkward, awkward kid. Yeah. I wonder if that's kind of the same thing for Judd Nelson. They were just, they like couldn't find the right role for him yeah. as like this bad kid. 
thing right. and then and then you grow up and then you can't be a teenage movie star anymore <laughs> right so who knows um maybe I, I thought this was interesting um the film's poster with all of them huddled together that iconic image of them was photographed by annie uh Leibovit, Leibovitz, i believe is how you say it toward the end of shooting she is a famous famous photographer and her work is incredible i didn't know she took that picture I didn't so either. i think that's cool um but yeah, let's uh, let's get into the plot of this film. So like I said, it starts um, with um, five students at Shermer High School. They're reporting for an all-day Saturday detention on March 24th, 1984. And they all come from a different clique. Is that really a thing? All-day Saturday detention? Uh, maybe in the 80s. Can any of you 80s babies tell us? I cannot I'm imagine babies. that happening now. Also, like, I bet those parents were just like, yes. <laughs> all day without my teenager. <laughs> just drop them off. Don't have to see them all day. I can't even imagine. Yeah, like, I mean, that sounds more like a suspension than it does, like, detention. Like, Well, I just cannot imagine that happening because, like, I mean, when I was in high school, I worked on the weekends. Like, I couldn't just have detention all day on yeah. a Saturday. I'd have to work. I mean, some of these things that you find out that they did to deserve this detention, like. It's silly. Yeah, some of them are silly and some of them are like, whoa. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten detention. Maybe you should have gotten... It definitely doesn't spells. seem like the same, like a fair punishment for like all of the different things. No. Like there should have been harsher punishments or like yeah. less, right. less punishments. The 80s, it was a different time. That's true. Um, so detention takes place in the library. Richard Vernon, the assistant principal, who is just an asshole in this movie, but he plays it <laughs> super well. Um, he instructs them to not talk, move from their seats, or sleep until 4 p.m., and he has assigned them all a 1,000-word essay in which they must tell him who do they think they are. So. That's such an asshole topic, too. It is. Even, like, who do you think you are? What <laughs> gives you the right? <laughs> what gives you the right? Write an essay about that. So kind of fitting into their, their cliques, um, Brian immediately is like, oh, you know, we all we should all just do our assignment and, you know, but uh, <laughs> Bender ignores the rules and he's riling up the other students, harassing and teasing them. Uh, he There's a scene where he teases Brian with his lunch, like, is your father Mr. Rogers? <laughs> he's like so, he's just so mean. He's an <laughs> asshole. He's so mean. So mean. Um, and because of all the noise, um, Vernon comes in to scold them for causing a ruckus. And then he, this scene is actually pretty... Uh, quotable um it's parodied in uh not another teen movie where um he and benner go back and forth um and he tells him to eat his shorts and he just keeps giving him detention after detention after detention he ends up giving him eight more weeks of detention and uh there's even a scene where he locks him in a storage closet which is like super effed up if you ask me and he just like berates him and he says that like hey like nobody cares about you you're nothing it's pretty awful like they don't play this guy to be like yeah bender's an asshole and he obviously doesn't really abide by the law of school or the uh the city the world if you will but he didn't deserve to be treated that way. Like, he just, like, completely shits all over this kid. Yeah. And it's it's pretty mean. And what? he even is like, you punch me in the face. Like, I just, I dare you to do it. And he just looks at him like, oh, my God. I know. He was just being crazy. Just he was. a crazy person. It's a good example of how, um, how different punishment is today mm-hmm. in school systems. Like, I know that, like, personally, my uncle... Um, he went to Catholic school, but he his hair was too long, and and then a, a nun cut his hair in class in front of people. <sighs> like that would not fly today. No. I don't think in any Catholic school today. But no. like, and that wasn't that long ago. I mean, that was like forty years ago. But still, it's yeah, like craziness. Like if he, you know, went to his, which and you find out, you know, he has abusive parents mm-hmm. um but i mean if he went to his parents today and was like hey the assistant principal locks me in a room and called me a spineless turd and all this mm-hmm. stuff that he says to him like he'd get fired <laughs> also i think that it's just so obvious any student that just continues to like accept weekend detention like you know that that kid is not he does not want to be home for some reason no you know and, and he has that little like 
so sad. It is. He has that little like outburst where he, you know, is quoting his dad and how he mm. like, you know, puts cigarettes out on him so and sad. his mom doesn't really, you know, stand up for him. And it's, it's pretty sad. And the rest of the kids are kind of just like, what the fuck? Like they don't like, they don't even know what to do. Like, cause they also don't know if like he's, he's full of it. Like, is he just making this up to seem like a bad, you know, tough guy? Or is he being serious? That's why it's like so, it's such a good movie. It's so relevant to like any age group, really, Mm -hmm. that you just don't know what's going on in other people's lives and what makes them the way that they are. Yeah. You know? Um, So, again, he does get locked into that storage closet and he eventually escapes and gets back into the library. Um, There's actually a scene where they all escape and it's kind of fun, like... It's like, isn't it fun to break the rules? Yeah, they're trying to like outrun uh, Vernon when he goes to the the bathroom. That was pretty cute. Um, They pass the hours by talking, arguing. And at one point, they all get high together, which is also a really funny scene. Um, And especially Claire, like she's like, do you know how popular I am? I'm (laughs) so popular. Everyone loves me. (laughs) And they're all just kind of opening up to each other and just getting more comfortable with each other. And eventually there's, you know, the big scene where they're all just opening up about themselves, their their secrets. Um, Claire talks about her experiences of peer pressure. She's in detention because she skipped school to go shopping. And, you know, she talks about how, you know, the popular crowd that she's with, you know, she she doesn't really like her friends. Like they mm-hmm. pressure her to do these things. Um, John experience uh, comes from an abusive household. Allison is a compulsive liar. Andrew's dad pressures him with wrestling and, you know, pushes him to be the best, but he, you know, pushes him too far. He's in detention because he like hazed another classmate. Yeah. Pretty like actually like assaulted a classmate. So again, detention probably wouldn't be just detention in the real right. world. Um, and Brian, the brain, had a gun in his locker. Yeah. Which, which like, today, would, this one, you wouldn't just get detention for that. Oh, God, no. Um, he, but the reason he had a gun was because he, um, he got a bad grade. And he was um, contemplating taking his own life. Um, because his parents, he doesn't think his parents will accept him being less than perfect. And you kind of get that, that Mm -hmm. vibe in that opening scene in the car, how his mom's like so disappointed in him that he has detention. And, um, you know, he, he's like, you know, my parents, my parents wouldn't have it, me getting this bad grade. And I think it's in like woodworking or something like just something he's just not good at. It's not something that he can study or, you know, just, you know, read on and become better at and know, like, it's just a skill he doesn't have. And Mm -hmm. so that's why he, you know, contemplates taking his life because of all that pressure. It's like a little breakdown. Yeah. Super sad. It is sad. And uh, there's also this scene where uh, Bender, it's all in the same scene. Like he starts yelling at, at Claire saying like, you you wouldn't talk to me in the hallways. Like, yeah, we're getting along now, but what's going to happen when we go back to school? And like, you just look the other way and like, just, you know, stick your head in the sand and go to your prom. Like, he's just like, you're, you know, you're just this uppity, rich girl and popular girl like you don't know and they're all just kind of going back and forth a little bit but um they realize that you know despite these differences that they they do face similar issues namely with their parents and with teachers allison's parents they just completely ignore her claire's parents use her to get back at each other and like i said um brian's parents and um andrew's parents like pressure them to you know push themselves you know to be the best and it's just too much um and it's just it's it's just such a great scene like this this movie is all kind of shot in the same room like there's not like there's very few characters it's mostly dialogue it had to be super low budget of it well yeah it was only a million dollars yeah but it made like 50 times that like, right that's insane um but you know they it they just there was such a good way to depict teen life and and the pressures you go through as a teen and it's funny when you're an adult and you're like oh my gosh you know I worried about all these these silly things these trivial things that don't matter but you know when you're a teen and you feel things so strongly like there's such a big deal and pressure is real like no matter how old you get mm-hmm. you know to to be the best or to you know do what your friends tell you to do or the popular kids tell you to do it's just it's very relatable and um it's something that you know all teens go through and I think that that they really hit the nail on the head with this movie on just those pressures and those those mm-hmm. feelings especially since everybody seems to have kind of strained relationships with their, with their parents in one yeah. way or another and it's kind of it's significant because um 
high school, when you gain a little bit more independence, you kind of, everybody naturally sort of starts to break the mold that their parents have set them in into and, um, you know, abided by the rules up until that point where they have the, a little bit of freedom to make their own rules and kind of figure out who they are aside from their parents and their parents' expectations. And I think that that pressure, like, breaks a lot of people mm-hmm. because they're just trying to figure out who they are and how they can still meet the expectations of like the people that love them and the people that want the best for them or if they if they have people that don't care about them right um can I ask you a question Mm -hmm. did you when you graduated high school was it kind of like you're going to college or you're like a loser if you don't yep so same thing with my high school it was like I remember um oh gosh I can't think of the word but there it was like college pick day it's like mm-hmm. sometime in May before graduation and everyone would wear their shirt of like where they were going to college. And it was like such a big deal. Like, this is where I'm going. And mm-hmm. like, it seemed like, oh, if you're not going anywhere, you're going to community college or you're not going to college. Like you were looked down upon. Like, I feel like there's such pressure. And I still feel that today with with teens. And, you know, I graduated high school 10 years ago that, you know, you need to just push yourself out into the adult world and figure out what you're going to do right away. And like that's a lot of pressure on an 18 year old to figure that out. Oh yeah. Like that's so, and just to be expected to do that and all the tests you have to take and all the preparation. And I wish that they encouraged more kids to just take a year off and figure out what you want to do. You know, take that time to figure out who you are because I didn't know what I was doing when I was 18. Like I didn't know. No. And I didn't know who I was or who I wanted to be. And the pressure for like to go to college right away too which I think that you know there's a good idea behind that is like you're still in the swing of school you take time off who knows if you'll ever go back whatever true but also if you don't know what you're doing you might just be wasting money you're like throwing money away going to classes that aren't relevant to you or relevant to your future I mean so many I bet I bet the majority for sure of people that go to college change their major oh yeah I mean I did I did I went to school thinking I was going to do musical theater. <laughs> and here yeah. I am working at Atlas Med staff. No, I'm, I'm very happy here. But, you know, it's it's crazy how, you know, just over time how things change. And, mm-hmm. you know, you ta- have to take that time to kind of make some mistakes and figure out what it is you're going to do. Well, and the same thing could be said just about relationships in general and how much you change in that period of time in your life where you're kind of discovering who you are and how you the person that you want to be, the like adult life that you want to live things just change so much and like your relationships with people that you were friends with in high school and like mm-hmm. you kind of grow up and you realize like oh maybe that was just a friendship of convenience and I don't actually support the things that that person does and whatnot like mm-hmm. so many things are like in a critical changing period in that time and you yeah. can't just like put all your eggs in one basket and say like well this is what I'm gonna do and this is what I'm gonna be because sometimes you just change yeah we're changing all the time. Yeah. And when it comes to these characters in this movie, um, kind of like what, you know, Bender is saying, like, you wouldn't you wouldn't look twice at me in the hallway. Like, mm-hmm. again, there's that pressure of, you know, who you can talk to or who you can't. Um, it's kind of funny that, you know, all these stereotypes kind of turn themselves over. At, by the end of the movie, there's the cute scene where they're all dancing. And uh, Claire gives Allison a makeover, which is really, I mean, it's kind of... Mm, it's kind of a dated thing like oh she's pretty now and oh, now yeah. Andrew's interested in her like, it's like yeah. a total Anne Hathaway yeah like what is it princess diaries yeah yeah it's like, like you take somebody makeup. that yeah you just magically become like beautiful because you put on like tiny bit of makeup and yeah. put your hair down and- right yeah it's a little like ooh, like it's a little dramatic it's a little dated I'll, I will yeah. say that a little cliche but um but he, it does spark the interest from from Andrew um, and then Claire and Bender, they um, they kind of, you know, they've had some tensions throughout the whole movie, but then and then they kiss and she gives him uh, one of her earrings before they leave. And then um, Allison takes one of Andrew's uh, patches. And if you think, though, that, that, you know, Andrew and Allison hooking up by the end doesn't make sense, I mean, I guess it... Eh. There is the scene, though, where she, like, dumps out her purse um, on the couch and how she's like, I'm just going to run away, like you know, I do whatever I want. And he kind of pulls the truth out of her. Like, okay, like I'm not the one who just dumped my bag out and, you know, invited the world into my problems. Like what, what is the truth? What's going on? And he kind of pulls the truth out of her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the fact that she confided in him, I guess, you know, makes sense in the end. And poor Brian doesn't end up with anybody, but it's okay. 
He has his brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, at the end, um, I'd say probably the best part of this whole movie is the ending. Um, Brian writes the essay for everyone, and um, the ending is his uh, voiceover um, as Vernon reads it, um, telling Vernon that he already knows who he thinks they are using the stereotypes and that they think he's crazy if he thinks they're going to tell them who they are. And the movie ends with the iconic line, each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. And it ends with a shot of Bender pumping his fist into the air with Don't You Forget About Me playing during the credits. So iconic. It is. Memorable. It, it, it really is. And like, um, we're going to talk about this a little bit in our uh, like break session, um, but the the Oscars were last weekend, and um, they talked about you know all these previous best picture songs, and I'm you know you don't think about the Breakfast Club without thinking of Don't You Forget About Me, mm-hmm. and you can't hear that song without thinking of the Breakfast Club. So true. It's just the, the the there are those songs that stick with these films, and that movie and this song just are one and the same. They go together. But uh, that's the Breakfast Club. Um, a little bit more about this movie. So again, the main theme of the film is the constant struggle of the American teenager to be understood by adults and themselves. It explores the pressure put on teenagers to fit into their own realms of high school social constructs. Um, And um, it's known as the um, quintessential 80s, 1980s film. And it is considered as one of the best films of the decade. In 2008, Empire Magazine ranked it 369 on their 500 greatest movies of all time list. It then rose to 331st place and um, to rank it number 38 on their 2014 list. Similarly, the New York Times placed the film in its best 1,000 movies ever list. And Entertainment Weekly ranked the film number one on its list of best 50 best high school movies. So, um, yeah, I'd say just, you know, when I think of 80s films, this is one of the very first ones I think of. Mm -hmm. It's a classic. It's one of my favorites. And it's just crazy that it's already been around for 35 years. It is crazy. It's just time. Time time flies. It really does. Especially when you weren't you weren't alive yet. True. (laughs) Um, You know, where can people watch this? Where did you watch it? Where did I watch it? (laughs) It's unfortunately not actually available on any streaming like apps but you can rent it yeah i think i oh we have i just watched it i streamed it from tv that's what i did from my parents cable gotcha <laughs> don't, don't tell them <laughs> let me do a quick google yeah. search because i'm pretty guys. sure you can um pretty sure you can watch it like i mean itunes where you can rent pretty much anything mm-hmm. um just go to your blockbuster just head on <laughs> to the local blockbuster family video <laughs> Rented on DVD, VHS. I'm sure it's on a VHS somewhere. Um, oh, you, for sure. You can rent it, yeah, on, on YouTube, Google Play, Amazon Prime, iTunes, Vudu. Um, it says it's on Hulu. I, it's on Stars, I think. Oh, it, yeah, like it must be like Hulu Plus or something. Yeah, because I have Hulu and it was not there. Yeah. So I mean, there are ways to find it. Um, on any of any of those, you can rent it for super super cheap. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie in a while, definitely give it another watch, um, for nostalgia purposes, if anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to talk more about this movie and of course, John Hughes, but first let's talk about what else we are watching. All right. I really want to talk about the Oscars because it was a pretty historical year for the Oscars, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I was honestly pretty shocked with a lot of the winners. Mm-hmm. I, which that happens to me every year. Every year, I think something's going to win and it doesn't win, or, mm-hmm. or I'm like, oh no, that'll never win, and, and it did. Like and lo and I am shook that Joaquin Phoenix won, which I totally think that he deserves it. And like of all of the people from the movies that I had seen that were up for nomination, I definitely would have voted for him if I had, if I had to say, (laughs) but it had so many negative reviews and people talked so much trash about that movie. I just cannot believe he won. You know, sometimes a film itself, like, like last year, um, um, Rami Malik. Um, mm-hmm. One for best actor, and oh, both that was he just last year, yeah, and um, wow. I think he won the Oscar. Um, yeah, he did. 
but Bohemian Rhapsody itself, well, I don't think, well, no, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for Best Picture. Um, but like it didn't receive very good reviews. And like Joker, I think, has like a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Like, did you see it? No, I didn't. Did it, you? It, I did. And it was amazing. I mean, his acting was, was excellent. I think that people have a hard time with that movie because it is like it hits really close to home on a personal level it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable which is understandable and I think that that's a sign of really good acting too yeah he did an amazing job he totally deserved that Oscar but I just was really surprised because I thought that so many people like it made so many people so uncomfortable that I figured that he wasn't gonna get voted for also he's kind of he's kind of turned into a he's he's had a, a rough few years yeah so I don't know what's going on in his personal life I have not researched enough into that but his speech was not anything about him it was about like the world did you see that no i heard about it though and he um he quoted his brother too Mm -hmm. which yeah i mean that's got to be hard to lose your brother Mm -hmm. at such a young age and from an an overdose and another famous actor like yeah he's been through a lot is this his first um oscar i think so i think he was nominated for her Back in 2015. I never saw that and I really wanted to see it. I didn't see it either. Um, And I think he was also nominated for Walk the Line, possibly. But I don't know if he's ever won before. I think it's really interesting that this is the second time somebody has won an Oscar for the portrayal of the Joker. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too. I saw a meme today that was like, Jared Leto looking at the other (laughs) Joker Oscar winners. (laughs) I know. Which I liked Jared Leto as as the Joker, too. I think, I don't know. I don't think there's anybody that I've hated as the Joker. See, Um, I didn't care for, okay, well, I didn't actually see it. But I didn't care for Suicide Squad. It mm, was just, mm, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite movie in that in that series really it was just a lot different yeah but and plus it's hard to root root for the bad guys it's like the bad guy movie everybody's a bad guy and you're like okay who do i who do i want to win here like (laughs) it's kind of hard but um Um, joaquin phoenix like had said a few years ago that he was like gonna quit acting and then all of a sudden he was then I think I think that was before her came out because he had not done any movies like it looks like he was in Signs in 2002, The mm-hmm. Village in 2004, Hotel Rwanda in 2004 and then not in I don't think he wasn't in anything else until her. Wow. Really so, big gap. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the industry did to him, but he was pretty jaded from it and yeah. so it was it's interesting to see he just has a lot of good like worldviews. I think mm-hmm. his whole speech talked about just like how we can be better people and better humans and appreciate the world more. And it was really long. It was a really long speech. It was like five minutes, but it was good. I'll have to watch that one. Um, yeah. Another big winner was Brad Pitt. His first win for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did you see that? I did. I. I oh, know. I didn't see the movie. I saw the I saw the acceptance speech <laughs> did though. You see it? The movie was pretty good. Um, I think Quentin Tarantino movies are just always kind of strange. Oh yeah, he's a he's a weird guy, but <laughs> super weird. He, he's done some some pretty pretty iconic films. Yes, um, it's just hard for me to see new movies just because I can't really yeah. get away from home. That's so true. I kind of been taking advantage of this point in my life where I don't have any kids, yeah. and my husband and I really like to go to like Tuesday five dollar movies. <sighs> I. See, I wish my husband doesn't like movies, and I wish he did. Mm-hmm. I would see so many more, but um, there, I, I'd seen a few. Like we watched Marriage Story. Um, mm-hmm. Like I thought Adam Driver was fantastic. Out of everybody nominated, I wasn't surprised he didn't win, but I thought he did incredible in that movie, and I'm excited to see what else he does. Was he nominated for Star Wars too? I don't think so. I, I don't know. Um, and uh, Laura Dern won Best Supporting Actress, which totally well deserved. deserved. Well deserved. And she thanked her parents, and yeah. I loved it. She got a little choked up. Um, she, I think it was she said, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but, you know, some of us are lucky enough that our heroes are our parents. I thought that was awesome. Uh, Renee Zellweger won for Best Actress for playing um, Judy Garland. I didn't see that one either. I did not see that one. And um, why is it escaping my brain right now? Judy Garland's daughter is. 
Oh my god, I know. No, it's like I can't think of it. I don't, no, I, don't I know. know why. Oh, oh my nuts. god, because she's in. Oh, it's Liza Minnelli. Yes. Okay. I was like, she's in Arrested Development. So Liza Minnelli, there were like articles about her saying that she like absolutely did not want to see the movie, but then she was at the Oscars because I was watching the like Oscars pre-show like mm-hmm. red carpet stuff, and she was there. Has she seen it? No. Or she just as far as I to? as far as I know, she said she had like no desire to see the movie. So I'm like, well, then why are you there? I mean, that's that's got to be hard, though, <laughs> you know, know, because I for mean, sure. if I mean, if you know the story of Judy Garland and what happened to her later in life, mm-hmm. I mean, she just like withered away yeah, and just had she had a really hard life. Yeah. You feel really bad for her and what happened to her. For sure. I do want to see it, though. Me, too. I kind of missed the boat on that. I didn't really see any previews for it. I saw the trailer and I remember thinking like, whoa, she looks she looks like her. She sounds yeah. like her. Um, I wonder I, if it was I love like a good biopic in general. I do too, and I'm I'm curious about if it is um, Julie Garland's voice like dubbed over, like it is in Bohemian Rhapsody. No, I don't think it is because Renee Zellweger, if you remember, was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like she has a she has a good voice. That's true. So I'm pretty sure it's her own voice. That is something that bothered me about Bohemian Rhapsody because I know. You Freddie, can tell. Well, Freddie Mercury has just this voice that nobody can emulate, and I, I get that. Mm-hmm. And Rami Malek looks like him, but obviously doesn't have the same voice as him. But that just made me so mad. I'm just like, yeah. mm. I think it is hard too because then I saw um, Rocket Man. Did you see Rocket oh, Man? Oh yeah, I did. Which I loved, and I already really love. Um, what's his name? Taryn Taryn Egerton yeah um but Elton John like coached him mm-hmm. with all of the singing so all of the singing is his own voice but he had Elton John there to mm-hmm. coach him through it so I wonder if that I don't know if they would have if say Elton John were deceased and they were making this movie like post-mortem or something that would they dub his voice over then or would they still mm-hmm. have have had Taryn Egerton Sing his own stuff. I don't know. He did great in that. And I think he He's won amazing. the Golden Globe, like for totally musical or that. comedy. He totally did. I saw that movie actually when I was like 40, not 40, oh my God, 38, 39 weeks pregnant. Um, yeah, 49 weeks pregnant. That's what I thought <laughs> no. you were going to say. And I was like, oh no. my God. So um, there was the scene <laughs> where um, it kind of shows like the beginning of how he wrote your song, which is one of my favorite songs mm. ever. And I cried. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, that movie was wonderful. He did such a great job. And then um, Elton John did win the best Oscar for original song. Mm-hmm. Um, Toy Story 4 did win best animated feature. I was not surprised based on what it was up against. Well, I heard that people thought Missing Link was going to win. I've I heard that. I didn't even hear anything about any of those other movies, really. Well, well was Frozen 2 in there? I don't know. I got to be honest with you guys, and you guys might hate me for saying this, but... Are you not a Frozen fan? No. I don't like it. I don't hate it, but I just I just don't really care. Which I also don't... You know, I don't have any children around me that are obsessed mm-hmm. with it like everybody else's children, so maybe that's why. I've only seen it once. I thought it was fine. Yeah, it's, it's not a movie that I'm like, I feel the desire to see it over and over and over again like I am with some of the, and maybe it's just, you know, my age and, you know, it's not my era of Disney movies, sure, right. but, but I mean, like, I love Moana and I love, you know, Coco and I love, you know, the new toy, well, I don't know, we talked about this. I do like the new toy story, but not mm-hmm. as much as the other ones. Um, but no, just Frozen just didn't capture me like it did the yeah. rest of the world. And it's just so overdone at this point. But, like, my nieces are obsessed with Frozen. Mm-hmm. They love it. And fine, it's for them. It's not for me. I so. think it does have a good message, though, that yeah. they they really have done a lot with Disney in the past recent years of, you know, you, <laughs> in the past, all the Disney movies were like, a, a woman that needs the help of a man to True. get her voice back or blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I think that they did a really good job, especially with Frozen, by making the female characters independent, which That's I appreciate. True. And I do like the act. Like, I love Idina Menzel and uh, um, Kristen. Kristen Bell. You know, they're they're great. It just, yeah, wasn't. 
I'm just, I don't know, and I hate to, you know, say this in fear of sounding sexist, but I'm glad I have a boy and not a girl, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to, like, buy Frozen stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he could, like, if he wants to, you know, watch Frozen when he's older, he totally can. I don't care, but, I mean... I don't really understand why Leonardo DiCaprio was like best actor and then Brad Pitt was best supporting actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I felt like they were equally on screen. Is it because he was his stunt double and he was, I, so he was supporting? I would assume so, but honestly, I just feel really bad that Leo cannot get another Oscar. He's done so many great roles and I feel like how much of a slap in the face is that for him that like he was technically the lead actor or whatever in that movie and then Brad Pitt won like best supporting actor well I think some of his best work he either wasn't nominated for or he didn't win for like I thought he was amazing in Shutter Island he did an incredible job he was great in Inception but that was more of an ensemble piece like I don't think anyone in that movie really necessarily deserved to be nominated because it was it was a group effort he, of course, what's he in Gilbert Grape, which he was nominated for, mm-hmm. Basketball Diaries. Um, let's see what else. He was amazing. Did you ever see um, Revolutionary Road? No. Oh, that movie will rip your heart out. Mm. It is so, it's, it's a hard watch towards the end, but it's, it's also just a really good movie. It was the first time that he, first and only time that he and um, Kate Winslet acted together again. Mm. So they, they did a great job in that. Um, the other best animated featured films, no, yeah, Toy Story, or um, Frozen 2 was not part of that. I'm there's, surprised by that. There's Missing Link, um, Claws, which I actually watched on Christmas, and that was um, pretty good. I Lost My Body. I have never heard of that. And then How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Hmm. So. I liked the How to Train Your Dragon movies, but I, at the, they just need to stop making them. There's like a TV was, show, too. Is that like the fourth one? I think so. What the first it? two were real good, and then I lost interest because you got to stop somewhere, people. True, you gotta stop somewhere. True. Um, the main thing I want to talk about though is uh, Parasite. So um, I don't even know how I did not I did not hear anything about this movie until it was nominated. So I heard from from other people. A friend of mine, she asked me to go see it with her, um, and I couldn't for some reason. Um, I had been hearing a lot of hype about it because it's kind. I wouldn't say it's a horror movie, but it has some horror elements, I guess. Mm. Um, but I'd heard a lot about it. Um, it was playing at some local like film, play, not just like movie theaters, but you know, like film theaters um, in Omaha. It heard a lot of hype about it. A lot of people said like, "You need to see this movie." What is the premise of the movie? So it's kind of it's like about this family and. From what I gather, like an outsider that becomes part of the family and then like starts like manipulating from the inside, I think. Oh, is that that? Like it's like hidden in plain sight. Kind <laughs> of. But a movie. I I feel bad that I don't really have a good enough answer for that. But you know what? I'm going to ruin it. We're going to review that movie next week. We're so, going to watch it. Um, it. Well, it won Best Director, Best uh, Original Screenplay. Best International Film, which I noticed they recently changed that from Best Foreign Film to Best International Film. I thought that was a nice change. That's a nice change. And Best Picture. So so it's got to be good. It, it's got to be. It, it swept all the big awards. Um, and uh, it is the first time in the almost 100 years of the Academy Awards that a non-English speaking film won Best Picture. Wow. It is the first time a South Korean film was even nominated for Best Picture. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the director, just so humble. Um, and was just so, I mean, he didn't think he would win. He was like, nope, didn't think this was going to happen for me. <laughs> he was so surprised. And what I thought was really um, was really special was how he talked about, you know, the other directors. He said that Martin Scorsese was one of his, you know, biggest um, inspirations. Um, he just seemed like such a such a good guy. Bong Joon-ho is his name. Hmm. Um, he just and if you look at him, like like just look up a picture of him. He seems like just like such a cool guy, just fun. 
And, um, and this isn't his only work. So, um, if you did like Parasite, go check out some of the other things that he's done. Um, but between me and you, I am definitely planning on watching that movie and I'm super excited about it. I'm a little nervous cause I am not, and I've said this before on this podcast that I am not a horror movie person. I am a huge scaredy cat and I don't, I don't want to say horror. I don't think it's like slasher film or anything like that okay i think it's more just like the idea maybe it might be similar to joker suspense movie i think i like suspenseful movies kind of i'm also just like i don't like surprises i'm just like (laughs) such a baby i i don't know i like to mentally prepare myself for things so you know to each their own yeah totally fine i'm one of those people that will like while i'm watching the movie i'll like google the end I just need to know. (laughs) I like just cannot wait to find out what is going to happen so that I'm not surprised. So have you ever seen The Sixth Sense? Did you do that with that movie? We didn't have the Google back then. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) I did see The Sixth Sense and it was terrifying. The movie is pretty scary. Yes. It still is. Speaking of signs though, when we were talking about Joaquin Phoenix that I, that was one that I remember seeing in theaters. I saw it with my friend Sydney when we were... So that was 2004. So we were like probably 13 when that came out. And I just remember that being like so terrifying. It, it is. It's a pretty scary movie. I think, you know, now like a lot of M. Night Shyamalan films have been like parodied and, you know, yeah. he's kind of a joke, unfortunately. I mean, he, he bounced back. He had some pretty good films like in recent years. Like, did you ever see Split? Which with, one is that? Um, with James McAvoy. Yes, that was really good. It was like that was. I like those kind of thriller movies. Yeah, I think that was definitely a, a, a turn towards better filmmaking. Because he had some I love James McAvoy. He's great. He's so great. Um, I think just you know he had a couple of duds in there. Um, like mm-hmm. it, he was. You said um, Joaquin was also in the Village. Was he in the Village? I think you said he was. I do not like that movie. That movie. That was one made that I remember mad. also seeing in theaters. I, I remember seeing it in theaters too. And I was thinking too. that it was like so terrifying and then it was like meh. Well, then you find out the truth and you're like, oh, it's just people in costumes. Spoiler alert. But I mean, that, yeah. that's what it is. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to watch Parasite. And I, I, I love, I love the Academy Awards. I love, I try to watch more. I'm trying to watch the movies more before the Oscars so I'm not like oh what's this well I should see it won all these awards but I'd been meaning to see Parasite but like I said it's just hard for me to see new movies these days so I'm really excited to see it um and I think too you know last year the the winner was Green Book I think it's definitely you know I I feel like Green Book was it was a decent movie but it was very it was kind of like a, like, you know, it was, oh, you know, differences in race, we can be friends. Like, it was kind of like too happy-go-lucky for a more serious topic, I think. Yeah. I think it was a nice change that, you know, we went from that movie to this, this you know, international film. And, you know, this, I, this very big you know, historical win. Yeah. I hadn't even heard of it before it won the Academy Award last year. Oh, Green Book? Yeah, I don't yeah. know where I was. I was just not. I don't, I don't know. But it was okay. I still haven't seen it. We reviewed it back when it came out. It was. It was okay. It wasn't anything, in my opinion, that special. But I would love to see what their like ratings and like how how the people that vote like do they have like a score sheet and they turn it in and then somebody's like you know. Well, I actually read an article and it was um like it was from a voter and they do have to rank everything. Hmm. And there's like hundreds of people and whose votes all come together. Who are these people? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody. The <laughs> award shows. I would want to be on that. I would totally just get paid to review the best movies of the year. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if it's like, okay, just vote for one of these things. Or is it like rank this category, rank this category? I think you it's... have to rank everything. Hmm. But who decides what gets in and what doesn't? Is it that same group of people? I don't know. Who can say? Um, well, that is, um, that is the Academy Awards, the 2020 Academy Awards. Um, let's get back to our review of, uh, the breakfast club. Club. That is what else we're watching. All right. Back to, uh, back to the breakfast club. Um, is there anything that you wanted to bring up specifically? 
before I get into my John Hughes? Not really. I mean, I was just thinking about how simple the plot of this movie is. Yeah. It's very... Which was, I was going to say that was, you're going to be so mad at me when I go to rank this movie again because I just have a hard time with movies that are like super, super simple. I don't know why, but that was something that I was thinking of when I was watching it again compared to when I watched it when I was like 14. That like the plot, when you try to summarize this movie, it's literally just like you put a bunch of kids that are different together in detention and then they become friends at the end. Like that, like, no. It's pretty basic. It is. Um, but it's it's funny that it's so simple, but yet it's, like, so significant because it just, like, portrays, like, such a good picture of, like, the struggles of being a teenager. It is, I mean, it is simple. Did you ever see Eighth Grade? No. Oh, my gosh. So Eighth Grade was um, written by Bo Burnham, the comedian. Oh. Yeah. interesting yes um he is it, extremely vulgar so i wonder what that is like well i love him he have you seen any of his like recent netflix specials over uh-uh. the past few years oh my gosh i watched him a lot when he first became famous same because he was on youtube right yep yeah. he's a yep. youtube person i thought he was hilarious but he like, definitely matured right? i mean if you thought that stuff was funny his newer stuff is way more um existential hmm. um and eighth grade is also a very simple movie about a girl in eighth grade and she's awkward and she's you know not super thin and she doesn't have a lot of friends but she it's like being in eighth grade in modern times like not like when he was in eighth grade what it was like it's like what middle school is like for kids right now Mm -hmm. and you know she has this youtube channel where she this is kind of like an online diary and she talks about school and her life and um, they're all about to graduate and just navigating middle school. And that movie was, I don't think it was nominated for Best Picture or anything. It might have been nominated. I, th- I think she was nominated for like Best Actress. Maybe I'd have to confirm that. But um, for me, that movie was just very, it hit home for me because mm-hmm. it was, I, I was very, I related to the character, not like, this is how I feel right now but like this is what middle school was like it's awkward and it's weird and everyone's Mm -hmm. changing and you know everyone's opinion matters so much but it's also a very simple movie right hardly anything happens and Mm -hmm. I would say the same for the breakfast club but the message and what it represents to people I think is what's really important not necessarily the plot it's also interesting that well now that you brought that up I cannot imagine what it would be like being in middle school right now with how technology has changed so much just since when no. I was in middle school, which was like 15 years ago or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I guess more than, God, more than that. A little <laughs> bit more than that. But um, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that. I mean, when I was in seventh grade, I got my first cell phone, but it was a, it was shared with my mom. It was like... Oh, yeah, mine you know, was with my sister. My mom had it all the time, but then if I, like, went to the movies or whatever, then I got to take the cell phone and whatever. So there wasn't really, like, texting... And, you know, you had to pay by the text. So mm-hmm. I, it was, like, on a very strict, like, you only call me, you don't text anybody, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. it, it's just, like, completely different now. And I just can't even imagine the th- – I guess what I'm trying to say is that the at the base of everything, I think that everybody kind of goes through the same thing. You Like, everybody in middle school and, like, in high school, you kind of still go through that, like, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I'm going to be. What do I take away from what my parents have taught me and how do I mold that into the person that I want to be plus all the other things that go on in your life? Like I think everybody goes through kind of like a suicidal sort of like thought phase where they think that like is like what am I going to make of my life? And Do I matter? Yeah. I think everybody kind of goes through that in one – like not necessarily in an actual suicidal way but I think that everybody has those thoughts in one way or another. It's Um, like they ponder their um, their, their, like like, purpose in life. I think everybody, I mean, you can do, still do that as an adult, but um, at the basis, everybody kind of goes through these just like weird, awkward, trying to figure out who I am phase. But then you add how time has changed. So, you know, these kids are doing Saturday detention, which like would not happen now, it, I don't think. And like when we were in middle school, it was... I don't know, the very beginning of cell phone usage and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the internet. And the internet and like AOL Messenger and that kind of stuff. And then now it's like every kid when they're like in fifth grade has a cell phone. And what do they even text about? Like it's just so I crazy. Know. 
And what I think about too, like cyberbullying is so huge now. Like you can't like whole nother level. I mean, like I'll be real. I was teased in elementary school, middle school. Like Mm -hmm. I was a weird looking kid. I had a bad haircut. You know, we all do. We all have those those bad haircuts, those memories, Mm -hmm. but I could go home and get away from it. For you sure. know, and like kids now, like if they're bullied, they can't. I mean, no, you know, everywhere. they'll, you know, find them on Facebook or Instagram or it's TikTok or, you know, wherever so they easy are. for those kids to hide behind the computer and be like, well, that's, I'm not a bully. I don't do that. But they mm-hmm. go home and they're like an anonymous person on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's just so crazy. It's a lot harder to be a kid now and a teenager, yeah. I think, especially in this time, like this like climate literally and figuratively it's it's a lot harder to be young but i think yeah again these these main principles mm-hmm. of you know we're, it, it yeah it doesn't matter how old we get like these these messages especially depicted in this film mm-hmm. are timeless and i think yeah. that's why this movie is still regarded as one of the best movies of all times but teen comedies especially mm-hmm. there's always going to be the bad boy there's always going to be the nerd the mm-hmm. athlete it's just always going to be that way but at the same time like yeah there are there are all these molds but you don't have to be one way or another. You could be a mix of both. Like you could, I mean, it's like High School Musical. Like you could be the basketball star, but also you could like to sing and dance, you True. know? <laughs> like, And that's what I kind of love about Claire's character in particular is that she talks about how she's got this friend group and that she doesn't particularly like them. But then she meets people that she can obviously, that she can, she obviously knows that she can get along and make friends with people that are not in that friend group. And I just wonder if they had made a movie a couple of years later, like where are all these characters at in their lives, like who they'd be hanging out with and mm-hmm. what they'd be doing. Yeah. It's just an interesting way to think about how stereotypes affect your life. Absolutely. We were going to end this with this review talking about the one and only John Hughes. I learned a lot about him when putting all this information together. Um, if you don't know who John Hughes is, um, well, if you're a fan of, the Breakfast Club or any of these 80s teen films, you know who he is. But if you don't, um, he was born in 1950, uh, and uh, most of his work is set in the Chicago metropolitan area. He's best known for his teen comedy films, and many of his most enduring characters were written for Molly Ringwald, who is also in this film, who was his muse. Um, he was born in Michigan. He moved to Illinois when he was in middle school. He attended Glenbrook North High School, which gave him the inspiration for the films that he eventually that eventually made his reputation. He met his future wife, Nancy Ludwig, in high school, and he found movies to be his escape as a teenager. And according to several friends, he knew a lot about movies, and he was an avid fan of The Beatles, which is fun because in a, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Ferris sings uh, Twist and Shout, The oh. Beatles version. After dropping out of the University of Arizona, he began selling jokes to performers like Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. And he used his jokes to get an entry-level job at Needham, Harper, and Steers, which is an ad- as an advertising copywriter in Chicago in 1970, uh, later in 1974 at Burnett, Leo Burnett Worldwide as well. His work on the Virginia Slims account frequently took him to the Philip Morris headquarters in New York City, which allowed him to visit the offices of the National Lampoon magazine, where he became a regular contributor. His first story, inspired by his family trips as a kid, was called Vacation 58, which later became the basis for the film National Lampoon's Vacation. His first credited screenplay, National Lampoon's Class Reunion, was written while still on staff of the magazine, and it didn't do so well. It was trying to kind of be the next... I was gonna say I've never heard of that. (laughs) Well, I think he was... It was trying to, like, on the heels of Animal House, was trying to, like be the next or you know the next or the new animal house and it kind of flopped um but his second screenplay um national lampoon's vacation became a major hit in 1983 um another script he wrote that same year mr mom starring michael keaton earned him a three film deal with universal pictures his directional debut was 16 candles in 1984 and it received almost unanimous praise for his depiction of how teens are um, and how they feel later would f- to follow would be the breakfast club european vacation he wrote that but did not direct it weird science pretty in pink again wrote did not direct pretty in pink and ferris bueller's day off which he wrote directed produced and he even had a cameo oh i didn't know that uh, i didn't either he was like a man running in the street or something is what it said <laughs> very very small cameo um i love it other big John Hughes screenplays, which I find super, super fascinating. I didn't know he was behind all these movies. 
Um, they include planes, trains, and automobiles, which he also directed. Some Kind of Wonderful, Uncle Buck, Christmas Vacation, the Home Alone trilogy, which um, is his like most commercially successful series, Dennis the Menace, the Beethoven movies, Miracle on 34th Street, Flubber, 101 Dalmatians, Made in Manhattan, and Drillbit Taylor. I cannot believe that. I know. I am shocked. He is the writer of our generation. Damn. And like the generation, I would say like Generation X as well. Or is that right? X. Did he win any Oscars? I don't think so. Let me do a quick Google search of that. Um, I actually don't know. But I mean, it's amazing all these movies that he wrote and he directed a good handful of these. Um, but I mean, he he was the 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 guy, the writer of. 80s pop culture yeah and it's i mean we talked about home alone and we talked about you know christmas vacation and now we're talking about the breakfast club like it's amazing how this man's work has you know transcends genres it transcends you know generations he's just such a huge name in pop culture from the 80s and 90s and the 70s i guess as well um it's he said that he when did he die recently well yes um oh he was never nominated for an oscar that's surprising that's very sad um so it's actually really unfortunate how he did pass away um so he kind of left the public eye in the in the mid 90s even though he was obviously still behind a lot of these films um but um he and his wife had two sons and in 2009 he was visiting um his son james and his new grandson in new york city he was going on a walk um by his hotel and had a heart attack and passed away oh no yeah completely he was how old was he 59 oh my god i was just gonna ask like i wonder how or i was just thinking i wonder how old he was when he was directing and writing all these films so he's probably like in his 30s 20s yeah it's, when he was big in the mm-hmm. 80s. I mean, it's it's so 30s. sad. Like, if, you know, he was, I would say, otherwise in good health. So his death came as a shock. God. And his wife recently passed away in 2019, like a couple of months ago. So, oh, um, but so sad. it is. I, I honestly didn't know that he had passed away. Um, but, you know, he's been gone for, for 10, almost 10 and a half years. Um, but his legacy lives on through pop culture. Um, did you ever watch Community? Mm-mm. So Community, their pilot episode aired like about a month and a half after he had passed away. Their pilot episode was dedicated to him. They even um, had a part where they had some references to The Breakfast Club and even saying, uh, don't you forget about me. Mm. So Kevin Smith said, uh, basically, my stuff is just John Hughes films with four letter words. Judd Apatow commented, I feel like part of my childhood has died. Nobody made me laugh harder or more often than John Hughes. He helped launch the careers of Michael Keaton, Anthony Michael Hall, Bill Paxton, Matthew Broderick, Macaulay Culkin, and other members of the Brat Pack, uh, Emilio Estevez, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, and Judd Nelson. It's just amazing the cultural relevance that this man has, how many careers he started, how his teen films inspired a generation. And we were talking about this, that these kind of films, I mean, you know, they're still romantic comedies and, you know, teen shows that are out. But when I think of movies that are out in theaters, there's not a whole lot of like teen movies out there anymore. Mm -hmm. Like the only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Love, Simon. Did you ever see that? I didn't, but I um, had heard really good things about it. Great movie. Um, there's just not that many of them out there anymore. And like, this was a time when like teen movies were huge and most of them were by the same guy. Like he created a genre. I feel. I bet it was so awesome to actually be a teenager during that time. I know. (laughs) These awesome movies are coming out that are so relatable. One of my favorite movies of all time is actually a teen comedy. Uh, can't hardly wait, Mm. which came out in, I think 1998 or 1999, um, starred Jennifer Love Hewitt and um, Ethan Embry, Seth Green. And it's just about a bunch of kids graduating high school in a high school party. Like a super simple premise. But again, it's also about like our, you know, our, you know, we're our pl- finding our place in the world and, you know. At the end of an era. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Well, rest in peace, John Hughes. I think that you did a wonderful thing for pop culture. I love your movies and... 
I'm excited to see what what you know the future holds for this genre and more movies to come mm-hmm. from it. Um, if we happen to see more, but uh, yeah, let's get into our review of The Breakfast Club. I want to start with you, Nina. What what would you rate this? I would probably rate it a three out of five. Okay. Um, I obviously did not hate it. It was very relatable. Um, like I said, my only like real bash against it is that it's just like such a super simple concept, and that's not really my. You like the stuff that like makes you think. Yes, I'm. I like Inception, like stuff like that. That you go on like a little mind journey trying to figure out where this movie's going. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely interesting to watch it now versus what I remembered watching when I was younger. So okay, fair. Yeah, I think I'd give this one a four out of five. Just again, it is a little dated, but. There's just so much about this movie to love. The soundtrack, the characters are all so fun to watch um, and relatable in in different ways. Just there's so many iconic scenes and moments. Um, I just I just love this movie. I love, you know, as much as I talk about how much I love the 90s, I love the 80s, too. Mm -hmm. And I love this movie. And it's such when, when you think of the 80s, you think of The Breakfast Club. And it's so 80s, like the music and the clothes they're wearing and just even just like the style of filmmaking is very 80s. And I just think this is a story that could be redone over and over and over again. Yeah. Because it's timeless and it's relatable and you don't have to be a teenager to enjoy this movie because it's things that even adults feel, you know, pressure from their coworkers to, oh, yeah. you know, like, because I mean, like clicks don't really go away, <laughs> you know, like there's always, True. you know, pressure from one thing or another, whether it's your boss or, or your, you know, your peers from high school, like, Hey, like my 10 year reunion's coming up. Like, where are we all now? You know, like it's, it's, uh, it's something that I think anyone can still relate to. Or if you're in high school and you know, you're, you know, you're a teenager now and you're listening to this. I don't know if we have any teens listening, but if you are, you know, this is something that you could relate to as well. I think that the, um, kind of this experiment by putting a bunch of people together that don't normally go together by means of like stereotypes, um, that could go with any group. Like, I'm just thinking, like, if we took people here in the office that don't necessarily talk to each other all the time, if you took away technology and put them in a room for an entire day just to talk to each other, like, you can find commonalities with anybody. Yeah, I agree. It's, I don't know. It's just kind of a, a good um, way to think about communication and thinking about, you know, you don't have to necessarily agree with everything about somebody and everything that they stand for to know that they're like still a person and that they still like you can have commonalities with anybody. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. that's a good ending point for this. Uh, that is our review of The Breakfast Club. Um, as always, guys, if you have any suggestions for us, let us know. Like I gave away earlier, next week we're going to be talking about Parasite, and then we're going to end the month with Nina's favorite movies, or some of, because I took Yay. some of them. Um, but again, let us know if there's anything else out there you think we should review. Tons of new stuff coming out over the next couple of months. Uh, So we'll look out for that. But until then, keep on streaming. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. Let us know in the comments what you're watching and if we should give it a review. Until next time, keep streaming.